The message is this, selected for revival, selected for revival. Um, most of my uh, closest friends are senior pastors. Um, and I go to lunch with them, we get together, um, and we just talk about the state of the union, if you will. And when we talk, we are all cognizantly aware of the challenge that the church, the body of Christ, is facing right now. First of all, we're facing this huge wave of not necessarily a physical pandemic like COVID-19. We are facing a spiritual pandemic that is, that is in Matthew, the book of Matthew chapter 24 verse 12, where it says in the last days sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. When you turn on the news, when you look around, there is sin everywhere. And what's scary is that what we used to call sin, we no longer call sin anymore. But that doesn't mean that it's not sin. It just means that we're not calling it sin. But God still calls it sin and he will still judge that sin. Are you with me? If you're in your closet watching, just clap and y'all help me. Y'all help me. I feel awkward only looking at the camera with all of you guys here. I mean, this is a really nice crowd, but just stay with me. Um, thank you. So that's the first pandemic that we're facing. The second um, onslaught of attack is not necessarily where you think I'm going with the COVID-19. That's pretty obvious. I mean, COVID is keeping churches shut down across the world. But I'm not going to chase that because that's obvious. What is not so obvious, it's, a, it's more of a covert enemy, is there are certain leaders, government leaders, not all of them, but certain that are going strongly against the church. I'm going to use one example in the state of Nevada. The churches went to the Supreme Court and they said, we understand that groups coming together is something we need to be very careful about. We understand that. But for you to shut churches down, but allow casinos to be open. For to shut churches down, but allow restaurants and bars to be open. That is showing, what's the word I'm looking for? What is it? Favoritism. It's showing favoritism. And so they had a problem. Let me show you a graphic on the screen. Uh, Sarah, where was this? New York Times? New York Times. Thank you. Share it. Sarah shared it with me. Look at this. A split, five to four. Supreme Court rejects Nevada's church's challenge to shut down restrictions. The church said it was subject to more severe limits than casinos and restaurants. And so we're not asking as pastors, as churches, to be treated better than any of everyone else. But we have a problem when you treat us worse than everybody else. That's a problem. Are you with me? That's a problem. 
Here's a, a second example. This is in the state of California, um, where the, the government in the state of California is saying this. We do not, if you attend church, you can attend and you can sit there or stand there. But you cannot worship. You can sit there, stand there, wear a mask if you want to, but you cannot worship. Let me show you this news clipping. This is in the state of California. They're worshiping with masks on. They got their masks on, but the government is saying, no, no, we don't even want that. No singing, no praying. I don't care if you have your mask on or not. Now, this is a problem. They don't mind if you go to a casino and gamble and talk. They don't mind even if you go to a, a rally, a protest, and shout your opinion. They don't mind that. But you can't worship God. You can't pray to God. And if there's one thing I've learned is that if you show up to the house of God, if you go out of your way to come to church and you do not participate, you may as well just stay home. If you're not going to sing out loud, if you're not going to pray out loud, you may as well stay at home. If people that stand in church and watch the paint dry, they should have just stayed at home and watched the paint dry. Because if it is a participatory sport, your relationship with God is a participatory relationship. It's not something that you just stand there and go, all right, I'm here, do something with me. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. In James 5, 16, it says, if you draw close to me, no, I'm sorry, James 4, 8, if you draw close to me, I'll draw close to you. We have got to know that drawing close is not a physical thing. You can't see him physically, so you can't walk up to him physically. It's a spiritual thing. It's a soul thing. It's a mind thing. It's, it's, it's all you got thing. That should have been the title of the message, an all you got thing. Yeah, let's, let's, you know, get on Google or GoDaddy and, and let's get that domain name. All you got thing. And so we want to look at what is God doing right now? We've recognized that we have to have revival. We have to. Um, when we stopped having prayer meeting at the end of June, it broke my heart because I knew that our church was on the precipice of revival. You can get 150, 160 people to show up to anything. Anything. You can have a birthday party. Happy birthday, Chiago. You can have a birthday party. You can have a birthday party and have 160 people show up to it. I couldn't. I don't have that many friends. But you can do anything and have 100. But a prayer meeting, 160, 165 showing up to prayer on a Wednesday night, not a concert, not a worship night, prayer and with a high bar of expectation. When we start prayer, one of the things I say is if you're not going to pray fervently, go home. This is Sunday, you can sit here and stare at me and even fall asleep if you want to. That's fine. I'm just glad you're here. But don't come on Wednesday night if you're going to look around. Don't come on Wednesday night if you're not going to pray. If you're not going to pray fervently, don't even come. With such a high bar, how do you still have that many people showing up? It's almost like I'm encouraging people not to come. 
And they're still coming. And so when I felt like the Lord told me to take July off, I was so upset. And I told the Lord, I said, God, I feel like, I, I, I feel like about two weeks after we stopped, I said, I feel like I'm walking away from revival by not having it. And, it, and he assured me, you did what I told you to do and don't worry about it. Revival is already in you. It's already in you. It is already in the people in this church. We've had uh, several people come up to me and say, hey, look, you can cancel prayer on Wednesday night if you want to, but we ain't just like that. It may be bad English, but it's great theology. We ain't. And they get together and pray. There's a sense of revival in our church. The revival is in the bones of the people in this church. It's in their bones. It's in their veins. It's in their veins. I showed up to the parking lot this morning and one of the church members was here, got to the parking lot before me. I'm like, what are you doing here? I'm here to pray. I'm like, okay, well get on it then. So there's revival brewing. We're on the precipice of something I personally have never experienced before. I can feel it and I can't wait for the first Wednesday of August so we can get back in it, which is, will be our first prayer meeting. But revival is the only thing that can save the church right now. And it's not just happening at celebration. It's happening in pockets all over the country. Let me show you one pocket that's already happening. This is in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota. The government said you couldn't meet in a building, so they just met outside. Right in the street. Look at the people. Yeah, yeah. Put that on live stream. It's already happening. They're out in the streets happening. And let me just tell you, okay, so let me show you another one. Um, this is in uh, Huntington Beach, California. Um, but I, I'm not quite as impressed with this move of God because anyone can feel God on the beach in California. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but California Beach Revival brings beautiful harvest of souls. Everybody say harvest of souls on three. Even you at home, one, two, three. Somebody online didn't say it with me, so we got to say it all over again. One, two, three. Oh, that sounded so good. Can you just say it one more time? If it sounded good to me, it, I know God loved it. One, two, three. Harvest. I'm going to come back to that point. That's why I had you say it. Harvest of souls in California. So it's already happening right now in the middle of COVID, in the middle of the church not able to meet, revivals are taking place. What is a revival? A revival is when you feel the presence of God like you feel the shirt on your back. There's other technical ways of saying that, but that is the best working definition that an unsaved person could understand. You feel the presence of God. You feel it. You feel it. You feel it. Now, what's the difference between a revival and an awakening? A revival is at a local church, and an awakening floods the entire country, even goes beyond seas many times if you study the seven great awakenings that have taken place on the earth. And so revival's already taken place. But here's, here's what concerns me. Here's, I do not want to experience a revival for a day. I don't want, these events are beautiful. But it's news now. It happened. It's in the newspaper. It's not happening right now. It's not happening right now. It lasted for a moment. And so here's what I want to talk about. 
How, who does God choose? In the next 17 minutes, I want to talk about who does God choose to have revival? And what causes revival to remain? Experiences, experiencing his presence, like the psalmist says, better is one moment in his presence than a thousand elsewhere. Just one moment with the creator of the universe to feel the presence of God, like I feel the shirt on my back, would be worth my entire lifetime. But oh, what a sad moment it is when it's over. When it's over. I personally was in a revival every single night for three months at a church that I grew up in. It ruined my life. I will never, ever be the same. But the saddest moment was the day that it was over. And so I've thought about that over and over again. Who does God choose? What churches does God choose? And what keeps revival going? All right, let me dive right into it. Um, I'm going to we're using the book of Judges as a case study on how to build our thinking in regards to revival. Gideon had to have a revival. He was being attacked by the Midianites. All of his people were being attacked by the Midianites. God whispered into Gideon's ear. He said this, he goes, you are going to overcome their entire army as if you are fighting against one man. See, when the presence of God shows up, it fixes everything, everything. I don't have time for that, but it fixes everything. So he goes out and calls people from four different regions. He's saying, we're putting together an army and I know that God is going to do something awesome. 32,000 men showed up, swords, spears, sticks, brooms, pocket knives. They showed up ready to fight. And he looks at God and goes, we're ready to go. And God said this, he goes, not all 32,000 are ready to go. They might be standing around you, but they're not as hungry as you think they are. They're not as, they're there, but they're not as hungry as you think they are. After a brief argument, he turns around and he looks at everybody and says, for those of you who are scared or timid, you can go ahead and go home. Bang, 22,000 people leave. All of a sudden, he looks at God and was so embarrassed because God was right. Don't you? Sometimes it's irritating when God is right. If we're just going to be honest, sometimes it's irritating when we got to look at God and go, thank you for not answering those prayers. Anyway, moving right along. So all of a sudden, he realizes that he's got 10,000 hungry people. I have three points that revolve around being selected for revival. But the first one is you have to be hungry. You have to be hungry. It can't be something that would be like, oh, that would be nice. Like if I invite you to my house and I say, hey, uh, you want to come over for salad? You're like, that would be nice. It can't be that would be nice. It has to be something that pumps in your veins. And do you know that God searches for people through whom he can show, show his power? Let me say it again. God searches for people through whom he can show his power. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it actually says it like this. His eyes go back and forth. Looking for people 
who are faithful so he can show his power in their life. What's the standard? What's the bar? Perfection? No. Faithfulness. He's looking for faithful people to show his miraculous power. Are you a person? Do you breathe? Do you have air in your lungs? Are you faithful? Are you pursuing faithfulness? Perfect. You're the candidate. Faithfulness, passion, hunger. In Psalms 5.3, it says, every morning I wake up, I'll be back at it again. Laying the pieces of my life on your altar, waiting for the fire to fall. God is looking for people through whom he can show his power. But it will not cost you a lot. It will cost you everything. I heard about a musician that played a recital at a reception. He was a world-renowned musician. And after the recital, this lady walked up to him and she said, oh, I would give the world to be able to play like that. And the musician looked back at her and said, well, that's what it cost me. You see, you can want the presence of God. You can think about the presence of God and it will not get you anywhere. Only the people that are hungry, that are passionate, that flesh out their desire. Otherwise, you're a part of the timid and you're a part of the scared. But the hungry is who God is looking for. You will never, ever, ever have the relationship that you desire with God until you are willing to be passionate and fervent and consistent. Otherwise, you will only read stories about people who have walked and talked with God. You will not experience it yourself until you decide, uh, you throw all caution to the wind and you say, God, I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you. Hunger. Number two is holiness. Holiness. He looked at at Gideon and he said, all right, look, it is time to build a culture. See, holiness is the culture of heaven. Holiness is when you separate yourself from the rest of the world. When I was growing up, I thought holiness meant perfection. I thought in 1 Peter, what what is it? 1 Peter, uh, let me think. 1 Peter I think it's chapter one, first Peter chapter one, verse 15, where it says that he, uh, no, it says, uh, be holy as he is holy. I grew up thinking, oh my goodness, how in the world am I supposed to be holy like God? I'm Italian and Brazilian. I get set off by a gust of wind. It'll set me off. How am I supposed to be holy? And I'm so thankful for Peter because he was built like me. He had a little bit of an attitude. And so when he wrote that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, he says this, be holy as he is holy. In verse 14, he says, we must live. We must live as his obedient children and do not slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You were lost then, but now you know better. I have watched great young men, young men with greatness in their eyes, but they were acting a fool 
acting a fool. My wife and I were youth pastors at two different churches before we started Celebration Church. Both, at both churches, our youth group was about three or 400 kids. And we would see kids, teenagers, just messed up, completely messed up. And then they enlist and go to the army. They come back six months later and they are soldiers. They are gentlemen. They are young men and young women with principles. And I'm looking at them, I'm like, what happened to you? Six months ago, you were a nutcase. You go to the U.S. Army for six months and you come back. You're a gentleman. You got your, your shoulders are braced back. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. You've got prince. What happened to you? See, all great armies have a culture. They have a culture and the culture of heaven is holiness. He looked at, he looked at Gideon and he said, take them all to the water and watch them drink. Anyone who laps like a dog, see you later. But if you pick up the water and sup and and drink it like this, you can stay. His army went all the way down to 300 people. Remember this. Holiness is the culture of heaven. If you want to experience everything that God has for you, you have to embrace his culture. And his culture is holiness. Let's never forget that. So the two things that have to be involved in a person's life, in a church's life, in order to experience revival is unhinged holiness, unhinged hunger. If you are holding your passion back, if you are standing back and looking around, you are going to watch revival come and go and you will not be a part of it. You'll be a part of the people in the, in the peanut gallery standing there being critical, wondering if it's real. It's happened every single time. There's people that are in it and feel it and enjoy it. And then there's other people that stand back and watch and scratch their face, scratch their belly and wonder if it's real and they miss the whole thing. This has been happening ever since Jesus walked the earth where multitudes followed and they knew. And then there were always the people along the side that stood around and looked and said, I don't know if it's real. You have to be hungry and you have to pursue holiness. But this third point, very interesting. God started burning it in my heart earlier this week. It's the harvest. This is the point of the story when he took 300 men, where Gideon took 300 men and circled the the Midianites in the middle of the night. And they took pitchers and they took a torch and they took a ram's horn, all 300. They broke the pitcher in the middle of the night. They blew the ram's horn in the middle of the night. They held up a torch in the middle of the night. And then they they stood there and watched. And God... spirit came into the Midianite camp and caused confusion and they all started killing one another. And all of a sudden Gideon heard the voice of God and God said, go back and get all those timid and afraid people. Go back and get all those people who lapped like a dog. Go get them all back and let them participate in this victory. See, it is so interesting. If you study revivals of the past, 
the revivals where there was a harvest of salvations constantly taking place, those revivals continued on. They went on for weeks. They went on for months. They went on for years. The longest revival to ever exist in the United States of America was in Brownsville, Florida between the year 1995 to 2000. And every single night, the preacher, Steve Hill, I was at his funeral. I was there in the revival. Every single night, he preached on salvation. He only preached on salvation. And every single night he would look at everybody and say, bring your unsaved friends. They have to feel the presence of God. What was the result of that? There was a line outside the door that started at 6 a.m. and went miles down the road so people could get into the sanctuary. They had to build other buildings and have tents out there so people could get in. Why did revival continue? Because people understood that had the revelation that salvation is the kindling that causes the revival fire to continue. I sat down with Dr. Randy Clark. He's a mentor in my life. He was the one that was a part of the night that the Toronto revival started. The night that it started, he was there. He was on the stage. He was the visiting minister. And I asked him, I said, why do all revivals come to a close? He says, they don't have to. The reason why they all come to a close is you have believers that pray for revival. They fast for revival. God answers their prayer. And then all they want to do is come into the presence of God and soak. They want to soak. They want to feel his presence. They come back night after night. They want to feel his presence, feel his presence. He goes, that's not the great commission. That's not the heart of God. It's not the heart of God for Christians to just get together and soak in his presence. That is not the heart of God. If salvations are not taking place, revival cannot continue. God will not allow Christians to just get together night after night and just soak in his presence. He won't allow it because we have a mandate. We have an assignment and we can't discard our assignment and discard our mandate for selfish personal reasons because we want to feel the presence of God. The first time this happened was when Jesus showed up. He, he said, hey, Peter, James, and John, come with me. He goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration and he transforms his physical body into his heavenly body. Peter, James, and John are like, unbelievable. And what did Peter do? He didn't want to move. Can we just stay here and build a church? Jesus said, no, we're going back down to finish what we're doing. When that revelation occurred to me about a week ago, I went on a rampage of inviting people to church. My first, my first one was at the Black Walnut. Now, if you are out of state and you're watching and you're in California, you don't have a Black Walnut, that just means that God loves us more than he loves you. <laughs> I was in the Black Walnut having breakfast and there was a guy standing in line. And I looked at his shoes and I saw those shoes on some kind of feed uh, on the internet. I saw those shoes. There were, and I, I looked at those shoes and I almost bought them, but I wasn't sure. And so I looked at them and I saw him in line. He was wearing those shoes. And so I went up to him and I said, bro. I said, bro, bro, I love your shoes. 
And so I asked him, did you order them online or did you order them in a store? He goes, I ordered them online. I said, did you order them true to size or did you have to size up, get a half size up? He goes, no, I ordered them true to size. I said, you know what, I'm standing, true story, I said, I'm standing here and I'm talking to you and I'm thinking to myself, I like this guy. And I said, I don't want this conversation to be over. I'm never going to see you again. I like you. You're a cool cat. That's how I did it. And I said, what church do you go to? And he goes, I don't go to church. And I went, we got to do this. I invited him to church. There was one small problem. He was visiting the woodlands. He lived two hours away. I went for it. The next story, I was at 24-hour fitness around the corner. I was working out. And I saw this guy sitting on a bucket and I knew he had all his equipment there. I knew that he had been working outside all day long. I just got done running three miles in the Texas heat. So I had two propel bottles waiting for me in the truck. I bought the propel water bottles, put them in my truck because I knew by the time I got back to the truck, I was going to want those water bottles. I get in the truck. I'm sweating. I'm hot. I'm driving. I see this guy sitting on a bucket and I know because, you know, this workers are in the Houston area like crazy. I know he's waiting for his ride to come pick him up. I felt the spirit of the Lord tell me, give him one of those water bottles. My first thought was, Satan, get behind me. (laughs) I need both of these water bottles. I'm about to die in here. And then I felt the spirit of the Lord tell me, that's not Satan, Frankie. You know it's me. You know what I sound like. Now give him one of those bottles. I put it in reverse. I backed it up. And I'm holding the water bottle and I waved it at him. He was like, he jumped up and got off his bucket and he came over to me. And I took, I went to hand it to him and I pulled it back and I said, hey, I just want you to know, God told me to give you this water bottle. And I want you to know he would not have told me that if he didn't love you a lot. Here's your water bottle. One person I invited to church, the next person I didn't. The third person, I walked into Nutrition Depot to go buy some I don't know what I was there for, to buy something. I walk in there, I'm talking to the guy, and I said, what church do you go to? That's always my opening line. You'll probably come up with your own, but use mine if you want to. What church do you go to? If they say I go to first blah, 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 and it's a Christian church, my answer is, that's a great church. That's an awesome church. You need to stay consistent, man. But if they say, I'm like, you gotta come to my church. Because this is what I've realized. I know revival is coming to Celebration Church. I know revival is coming to churches all around the country. But I do not want to be one of those churches that feels his presence like I've never felt it before. And the next day, I'm talking about what happened yesterday. I don't want to be one of those churches. I have been praying for his presence for too long just to feel it for one day. But God is not going to show up and allow his people to just to sit there and feel his presence without salvation's taken place. And so I have taken a personal responsibility of saying, God, here's the deal. Every time I pray for revival, every time I pray for a move of God, and the same time I'm going to say, Lord, you lead me to people. 
Lead me to people. I, I, I want you to point people out. I want you to tell me who to talk to. Bring people to my path. If you pray about it, there will be a supernatural halo that will go around that person and you will know that that's the person you need to invite. Don't ever forget, hunger, holiness, and harvest. Hunger, holiness, and harvest. Can we say that three times? One, two, three. Say it like you mean it, right? One, two, three. I hope that blessed you this morning. I love you. I'll see you next Sunday at 9, 10, 15, and 11, 45. I love you guys.